All right. On Thursday night, I think I think it was Thursday night, close to midnight, we finished uh, the book of Jeremiah. That was about 70 hours of teaching in a three-month time span. So I did 70 hours of teaching on the book of Jeremiah in three months, finished the whole book. Not only did I finish the book, then I backed up and redid chapters that I thought needed extra attention. So we finished the entire book of Jeremiah. Yesterday, I previewed what would be the new series that we're going to start today. And in the first hour, we began that by going way back in time. So here is what we have done for those who weren't here in the first hour. We are going to begin a study that is very much dependent upon what I have right here in this box, which is the Schofield Study Bible published in 1917. But before I opened the box and took out what's inside... I said, we can't get here until we go back even further in time. So we went way back in time. And we went all the way back to the beginning of, well, the Protestant Reformation, October 31st, 1517, okay? And I gave everyone three very important words to write down in the first hour. I told you to write down the word church, write down the word Bible, and write down the word authority, and write down the word system. So actually four, but I think I only focused on three in 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 the first hour. And so, just a very, now I can't go through all of this, it's all, of course it's already on all the podcasting apps, so you can already listen to it, but uh, just to go through this as quickly as I can, remember, before the Protestant Reformation, who was in charge of uh, translating the Bible and interpreting the Bible and declaring what you should believe or shouldn't believe or you would be anathema? The church. The church, the church, the church was the authority. Luther, and I, and I'm, and again, whenever I tell the history of church, of the church, people don't like the way I tell the history of the church because it's much more, uh, well, I hate to say, I don't want to say jaded, but I think it's much more realistic than the romanticized version that you go to church and learn about because it's a lie what they tell you. It's just a straight up lie. Okay. So I'm just going to be blunt about it. So Pope, the, the Pope. Luther stood up basically and declared himself to be the Pope because what did he do? He said that the Catholic Church was anathema, right? He then declared his own doctrine. Not only did he declare his own doctrine, he translated his own Bible. So he took the authority from the church and said, I am going to say what is right and what is what's wrong. I'm going to translate the Bible. Now, ever, we as non-Catholics always try to give uh, Luther, we try to paint him in the best light as possible, right? Of course, because he's supposedly on our team, but he's not really on our team because we disagree with him. So, and then he wanted us dead. So, okay, all right, that's a whole different, we'll forget that, okay? But we try to paint him in the best light possible, right? And say that he was doing this because he wanted the authority to go to the Bible. He wanted to replace the church with the Bible. It sounds so good. It sounds so great. But we went through the history of English Bibles. All right? That's what we did in the first hour. We went through every English Bible all the way up to, where did we stop, Sarah? 1560 with the most important uh, English Bible in history, which was the? No, that's 1611. Okay. The Geneva Bible, the Geneva Bible, right? And the the Geneva Bible is the most significant for a couple of reasons. The first reason was, it's the first mass-produced Bible for the public. 
Nobody wants to hear this in the church, but this is absolutely historically significant. Because 1560, how many years are you removed from the Protestant Reformation? 43 years, meaning for 43 years, the average person sitting in the pew who wasn't going down to the Catholic Church was declaring the Catholic Church to be wrong, and they had never touched a Bible. Many of them had never read a Bible, meaning that they did not come to that conclusion after extensive exegetical study. They just decided, I'm not going to listen to those people, but I'm going to listen to these people. They replaced one authority with another authority, claiming the Bible was on their side, but they didn't have a Bible. (laughs) They didn't have it. Now, we know the Bible in 1560 does get into the hands of many people, the Geneva Bible, because it's the first Bible. It's the Bible. It's the first Bible to arrive in America. It was on the the Mayflower, right? It, It showed up in America, right? Now, why is this important? Not only was it the first one produced, guess what the Geneva Bible also was? It was the very first study Bible. The very first study Bible. Guess what the study Bible had in it? A system. Now, this is important. We go with the church. Luther basically said the church no longer had the authority. You could argue he tried to put it in the Bible. But even his first Bible was not translated in German until 15, what was it, 32? I think it was 1532 for the German Bible. 34. Even that is years removed from the Protestant Reformation, meaning that people will walk around claiming the Catholic Church was wrong based off what? They were listening to Luther. So Luther became the default Pope, ever nobody wants to say it, he became the default Pope, right? Because nobody had a Bible that had the Latin Vulgate, but guess what? Did that, was that in the hands of the average person? No. Do you think Luther's Bible ended up in the hands of the average person? No. In fact, you have to get to 1560 before it starts showing up in the hands of the average person. How many people? And like Sarah said, how many people can even read? So who was still the authority in a default way? whatever teacher they were sitting under, meaning they replaced one pope for another pope. It's, oh, it's, it, it, it just destroys what we all, all the, all the stuff we claim. But the Geneva Bible is important because now, guess what you put into the hands of the person? A system. Church, Bible, system. All of this has to do with authority. And isn't it interesting that the Geneva Bible that gets put in the hands of the people, what becomes kind of the dominant theological view for a very long time? A more reformed view. Because that's put into the hands of the people. And listen to me carefully. When you put the system into the hands of the people, what determines how they interpret or exegete Scripture? The system. And when the system determines how you exegete scripture, then scripture no longer is the authority because no system should ever determine how you exegete. But guess what has happened to every person who's ever become a Christian? What were you taught first? 
what to believe or were you taught how to exegete scripture? What to believe. And guess what? Didn't determine how you interpreted scripture based off the system you were given. So what was really the authority? The system. The system. At n- the system should never guide or control your exegesis of scripture. And reality, that's not exegesis, that's eisegesis because you're reading into the text. You're taking your system and reading it into the text. But this is what always happens. And people sit in the pew claiming they want the Bible, but it's garbage. They don't want the Bible. They want their system. And they want that system to be regurgitated by the pastor just to go, go sit. He's got to look at commentaries that agree with what? The system. He grabs his outline from the commentary and then he regurgitates it. And all the people in the pew care about is it got a good introduction. He does he make good eye contact, kiss some babies, shake some hands, have a nice little sad story at the end, three points and done by noon. Because if he actually says, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to actually work on the text, study, question, doubt, struggle. People don't want that. Because sooner or later, I'm going to, the person who does that is going to do what? They're going to bounce against the system. And then when the people decide to tell me that I'm wrong, guess what they inevitably do? And this happens in any church. Do you think the people go home and spend hours in deep exegetical study to tell their pastor they're wrong? They go, look up an article and then come regurgitate to me. Typically, I mean, I've had people even argue with me and I'm like, that's page 53 of the gospel according to Jesus by MacArthur. Give me a break. That's page 83 from R.C. Sproul. Give me a break. If you're going to argue with me, could you do something better than going home and looking up something online? I could look up the same thing. Actually do the text. But I I want you to think about it. And I said this in the first hour. If you take a piece of paper and write down everything you believe, theologically, I want you to then try to calculate how many hours of in-depth exegetical study you did on that topic to arrive at that conclusion. What do you think the number would be for some of it? None. You said, but I went to church and I heard sermons. No, you heard someone preach to you a system where they quoted scripture. That's far different than studying scripture. People like to go to churches where you learn theology, not where you do theology. Remember years ago, I told everyone that this church was transitioning from the learning theology to doing. And doing theology, we do what? We put forth hypotheses. We don't care about which system gets offended. And we go to the text. But inevitably, once you have the study Bible, you put the system into the hands of the people, and then that controls how they interpret the very book. So the the Bible gets supplanted by the system. This is the reality. Nobody wants to talk about this because it makes Christianity look, well, not as, as great as everyone makes it out to be because this is the way that it works. Now, I do all of that because now we're going to pretend, right? That's all of that history. Now we're going to jump from 1560 and we're going to come to the United States of America, 1900s. All right, yeah, okay, I don't know what's going on in the 1900s. There's a lot of things going on in the 1900s. 
We should go to probably 1906 or 1909, but we're going to jump past 1909. We're going to jump to 1917. Now, you can imagine that it's 1917, right? Or you can imagine it's 1970, 1960, anything after 1917, all right? You're a Christian. Now, some of these references will be dated, okay? But you either got on your horse and buggy, went to town, Okay, found a store, and you walked in the store, and you saw a new Bible called the Schofield Study Bible. Or, another dated reference, you got in a car, and you drove to a store, and you walked in, and you bought a Bible. Okay, now, in 2023, you just order it online, and, you know, Amazon, it gets shipped to your house. Okay, but you get the idea. One way or the other, you stumble upon a Bible. Now, you don't know a lot, Right? You just, you didn't go to seminary, you go to Bible college. Now, just please note, seminary and Bible college, they're no better in this because you don't actually learn the Bible. You learn a system that the pastor then is supposed to stand up and regurgitate to the people. And then everyone pretends like the Bible is our authority. It's just, oh, just shut up. We, we, we don't believe the Bible's the authority at all, okay? This just, we, we should just have stayed in the Catholic Church because we're, no, we're, we're, we're just like, we're, the only difference is we just want to be our own Pope, okay? So, but that's a whole different story. So, back to my timeline story, okay? So, we pick up a Bible, all right? You get home, you open up the box, right? If it came in a box in the 1900s, I don't know if it came in a box. But I know in modern times, when you buy a Bible, it's in a box, right? Tells you all the wonderful things about it, okay? Let's go for reference. You open it up. If I can get it out. And there you have it. You, you, you thumb through it because it's got that new Bible smell. And this is brand new. I bought it just for this entire illustration, right? And you're like, okay. Now, I know what most of you do because you open it up and you read everything in the beginning, right? Because nobody does that, which makes... Uh, don't understand that. Okay, all right. So you open it up, the Schofield Study Bible, and we notice that the Schofield Bible uses which Bible for its text? The King James, which was what year? Okay. Some of you are independent fundamental Baptists. You better know 1611. Okay, all right. 1611, okay. And, it, okay, so, well, I was going to read this paragraph. But I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and just read this paragraph here, right? Because this is the very first thing. So the first, the first thing is empty, 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 right? So you, you because you're, you know, you, you want to know everything, okay? We're going to pretend like you do things differently than most people do. You open it up, and it says the Schofield Study Bible. Now, immediately that tells you something. Study Bible. Now, this is going to be really, you don't really have one of these until you go all the way back to 1560, Meaning that at that early time, this may be, a lot of people may not have even seen a study Bible, right? Now, I don't know the first Bible you bought when you were a Christian. I don't know what Bible you first bought. I think my first Bibles were not study Bibles, right? Because remember early, early on for me, I wanted to know how to study the thing. I didn't want people to tell me. And so then I ended up finding within the discount book rack at that Bible bookstore for 50 cents, a book on the Bible study methods. And then that started me studying the Bible, studying the Bible, studying the Bible, which was the worst decision I ever made in my entire, if I could go back in time, I would not have bought a book on how to study the Bible. You think I'm joking because it's caused me nothing but problems my entire life. 
I should have, someone should have stopped me at the Bible book and start, go, no, 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 you don't want to study it. You just want a system and you just stay true to the system. And then I, my minute, I probably would be in a bigger church and I probably would have had a successful earthly ministry. But I am never going to have a successful one because guess what? I will continue to study and I don't care who gets upset. And, and the, the second thing I should have never done is read the Abilene Reporter News. Because as a little kid, whenever the newspaper came in, I was like, give me the newspaper, right? I read that thing. And you know what was the quote at the very top of the Abilene Reporter News for basically 40, 50, 60, 100 years before someone removed it? With or without offense to friend or foe, we tell of the world exactly as it goes. And I'm like, that's right. Offend everyone. I loved it. I loved it, right? That became my theme, right? Offend everyone. My thing was study, 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 and are and be willing to. And so I was like, oh, if the Bible, if I'm told the Bible is the authority, then what should I do? I should study it and not care. So guess what? I got me in trouble, right? I'm at a Baptist church and I'm like, I don't know about this. So now I go to a Lutheran church. I'm like, I, don't, I, I keep going all because I'm trying to figure this out. Now, at some point, I did submit to the authority a little bit, right? Because I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to learn the authority. You know, I'm supposed to learn the system. But then guess what I always did and no matter what church I was in? Question the system because I kept studying the text, which you should not do. You should not do. Just, just anyone listening to me, if you're a new Christian, don't study your Bible. Just listen to your church, nod your head like a good sheep, and you'll be okay. But if you actually study, you'll get yourself in trouble. All right? That's, I'm sorry. That's the, you just go to the Bible studies in your church where you're claiming to study the Bible where no one is actually studying the Bible because everyone is studying a system. Oh, the whole thing. Okay, but here we go. All right. Now, it says, with a new system of connected topical references to all the greater themes of Scripture... Meaning that this Bible is going to have a reference system. What was the first Bible to ever have the reference system? The Geneva in 1560. Now we're 1909, 1917. The first edition, I think, is 1909. If I got the date wrong, someone can correct me online. I think it's 1909 was the first edition. It's numbers. I always forget. But the 1917 notes are the classic notes, right? Okay, because for those who are independent fundamental Baptists, Mr. Goodlett, you probably are very familiar with Schofield, right? Okay, because we, I mean, this is what I, as soon as I walked into an independent fundamental Baptist church, they were like, get rid of that Bible and get a Schofield, get a Schofield. I mean, it was like, if you don't have a Schofield, we're going to take you out back and beat you. Okay, get a Schofield, right? Okay, all right. So this one has a reference system. We'll look at the reference system in a minute, okay? Now, I know we're saying we're studying dispensationalism. Just get to it. No, because I'm trying to make a point here, okay? And I'm trying to show you how in church history, the Bible's been replaced by a system. Now, I got no, I got no problem knowing the systems, but we should be studying the text, all right? But I want to, we're going we're gonna to use this system to do that, all right? Here we go, all right? Everybody ready? So with a new system of connected topical references to all the greater themes of scripture, with annotations, revised marginal renderings, summaries, definitions, chronology, and index, to which are added helps at hard places 
explanations of seeming discrepancies and a new system of paragraphs edited by the Reverend C.I. Schofield. All right? Now, we could probably do a little biographical work right there, but we won't, okay? Because it doesn't have anything. Here, they have the introduction, and I love this under the introduction. Guess what they put in parentheses? To be read, okay? Meaning, if you buy the Bible, read this, all right? Um, oh, do, do, do we? it basically tells you how this all is supposed to work, right? So in other words, for example, I'll just read a little bit of this because it's, you know, small print and it's um, multiple pages. I wanted to read all of it, but it would just like, you would probably get bored after a while, okay? Because you probably have never read one of these ever in your Bible, probably that you've purchased. And you should ask yourself why you haven't because that kind of tells you what they're trying to accomplish and what they're trying to do. So you kind of really should know what they're trying to do, right? I mean, you should, okay, but all right. It says, uh, I'll just, I'm just going to read a little bit here. This edition of the Bible had its origin in the increasing conviction of the editor through 30 years of study and use of the scripture as a pastor, teacher, writer, and lecturer upon biblical themes that all of the many excellent and useful editions of the word of God left much to be desired. So he had come to the conclusion that the Bibles left a lot out. Now, I wonder what what he felt that they needed. Well, he obviously felt they needed some helps, some tools. Or we could use a word, a system. Okay, that's, that's that's very important, right? But please note, everyone condemns Schofield for this. It started 1560. Right? I think a lot of people who condemn Schofield, it's just because they don't like the system. Okay? But people have been giving a system forever. Everybody understand that? Okay? He says, gradually the elements which must combine to facilitate the study and intelligent use of the Bible became clear to his mind. These he has with the invaluable collaboration of a wide circle of spiritual and experienced Bible students and teachers in England and in the United States, endeavored with what measure of success others may now judge to embody in this present work the distinctive features as follows. So this Bible has distinctive features that he believes separates it from all the other previous editions. Right? Here are some of those, edition, here are some of those features. I'm going to try to go through them quickly because there's a bunch of them. One, it was felt that the old system of references, based solely upon the accident of the English words, was unscientific and often misleading, right? In other words, hey, just because this word is here and that word appears there may not actually be a good reference, right? So he's saying it was unscientific and misleading. And the present edition, by a new system of connected topical references, All the greater truths of the divine revelation are traced through the entire Bible from the first place of mention to the last. The first place of mention to the last. If you've been an independent fundamental Baptist, you're very familiar with that idea, right? This idea is taught in every, I think in every independent fundamental Baptist church. It's the the law of first and last reference. 
Do y'all remember hearing that as an independent fundamental Baptist, right? You all, whenever you're looking at a doctrine or a theology, you, wherever you want to see the first place it's mentioned in the Bible and the last place, the first and last. And they believe that there's great significance to that. I wonder where the idea came from. Hmm, maybe someone actually read their introduction, but the average person sitting in the pew probably has no idea that it came from here and just thought that the pastor was telling them some law of hermeneutics that was been around for 2,000 years. See why you have to read this stuff? Right? Because, because now remember, you, I know when I say that, a lot of people in the pew kind of go, yeah, whatever, I'm not going to do it. Well, you don't have to do it, but then maybe you should stop claiming to be a Protestant and go back to the Catholic Church. Because it's your responsibility as a Protestant because you claim that the church doesn't have the authority. Even though we supposedly, we claim pastors have authority. They, we only, pastors only have authority until you magically dis- disagree with them. But then you won't do the work to show that the pastors, right, the whole thing is just the whole system is messed up. But right, that's where it comes in to play. So his reference was going to focus on making sure you have the first reference and the last reference of whatever he has crossed referencing. In other words, it may not be like, well, wait, how does that relate to this? He's just going to go, here's where where I think it's first mentioned, and here's where it's last mentioned. And his cross-referencing system did that. Anyone who ever used the Schofield Bible, did you know that's what it was doing? If you say you don't, don't raise your hand, because you had the explanation right there. If you use a cross-referencing Bible, Do you know what system they're using? (laughs) Nobody was ever concerned about why they were doing, why they're doing the references the way they're doing. They're they're guiding you to some kind of theological conclusion, right? Does everybody notice that? All right. So how does his system work? By a new system of connected topical references, all the greater truths of the divine revelation are so traced through the entire Bible from the place of first mention to the last that the reader may for himself follow the gradual unfolding of these by many inspired writers throughout many ages to their culmination in Jesus Christ and the New Testament scriptures. This method imparts to Bible study an interest and vital reality which are wholly lacking in a fragmentary and disconnected study. So he wants you to see where an idea first is mentioned, where it's last mentioned, and then he may have references that fall somewhere in the middle. Now, even some of his references sometimes are somewhat puzzling to me, right? Sometimes, because obviously he under, because there's no commentary sometimes on the references, right? Cross-references in the Bible, that don't explain why it's there. How many times do I tell us to look them up and, and I'll say, why is that there? And remember, the same thing is true even in a Bible dictionary, right? So I just want you to see how this is being built. So, there, so when it comes to the Schofield Bible, right, what is the first key difference in his reference system? Just say first and last. Just make sure you at least understand that. It says, number two, the last 50 years 
have witnessed an intense intensity and breadth of interest and Bible study unprecedented in the history of the Christian church. Now, he felt that, now this is 1917, I think is when this, maybe it was 1909. He's in the 1900s and he's like, whoa, more people are interested in Bible study than he's ever seen. Now, to be fair, he shouldn't be too shocked by that because the average person probably didn't even have a Bible to at least the 1560s. And we know even then that it was going to be rare. And then, of course, literacy rates probably were not the greatest at the time. We could argue whether they were or were not. There's different arguments there. But he, he's like, hey, all of a sudden, everyone wants to study the Bible. He says, never before have so many reverent, learned, and spiritual men brought to the study of Scripture uh, minds so free from merely controversial motive. Now, this is interesting. He feels that at this time, People were studying the Bible not out of, a, not out of the necessa- necessary of controversy. Now, if you go back into the, you could argue that many of the earlier bi- people studying the Bible, especially in the Protestant Reformation, were studying out of the necessity of controversy because they were trying to distinguish and fight against Roman Catholicism and they were in the middle of the Reformation, Counter-Reformation and the Counter-Counter of that Counter and then you, and the Council of Trent, Vatican I, you could argue and he felt that at this point now people were trying to study the Bible more so to know the Bible. Right? Now, whether you believe that's true or not true, we, we could argue. Right? It says, a new vast exegetical and expository literature has been created inaccessible for bulk cost and a time to the study are embodied in the notes, summaries, and definitions of this edition, all right? So so I'll read this again. A new and vast exegetical and expository literature has been created inaccessible for bulk cost and time to the average reader. So he's like, okay, the average person didn't have access to a lot of these tools, that a lot of people were using these tools and there was all kinds of it, but guess what? You couldn't get it. So what did he decide to do? He's going to make it accessible, right? He says, uh, the, the winnowed and attested results of this half century of Bible study are embodied in the notes, summaries, and definitions of this edition. Expository novelties and merely personal views and, and, and interpretations have been rejected. So he tried to reject any personal interpretations, which is kind of funny because... That's what it's what's going to be known for. But the point is, is what he realized is like, hey, there's all of this information, but you can't get it. Now, this this would make an argument for a study Bible, right? Because it, you you have a study Bible now, you have access to the same tools that other people have. Now, this would be very important in the Protestant world because who's supposed to be studying and judging? Each person, right? So you can see why this would be important at that this point in history, all right? So basically, number one is the uh, first and last. The second, basically, is he's trying to make available all of the things that were available at that time, but people couldn't afford them, all right? He says, helps have been provided, uh, uh, number three, helps have been uh, provided available for instant reference on the very page where help is needed. For example, at every mention of a Hebrew month, weight, coin, or measure, the English equivalent is given in a margin. So he wanted to put the help where? Where it was in the text. Where you didn't have to do what? Go look for it. Right? Does that make sense? 
Obscure and difficult passages, alleged discrepancies or contradictions, and every important type or symbol are basically de- dealt with by new references are made, are made the subject of an explanatory footnote on the same page. So he wanted to bring all helps to the exact page. So the first major thing for the Schofield was first and last, trying to make it available at a cost everyone could afford, and number three, put it on the same page. Does that make sense? Yes? Number four, all the connected topical lines of reference and and an analytical summary of the whole teaching of Scripture on that subject, thus guarding the reader against hastily generalizations from a few passages or proof texts. In other words, he wanted to try to provide full context. He wanted to try to provide full context. The saying that anything may be proved by the Bible is both true and false. True if isolated passages are used. Utterly false if the whole divine revelation is in view. So basically, number four, he wanted to provide context to try to to prevent people from taking things out of context. Sounds good? Yes? Right. Number five, the great words of Scripture as adoption, advocacy, assurance, atonement, church, conversion, death, election, eternal life, eternal punishment, faith, flesh, forgiveness, grace, hell, Sheol, Hades, Gahana, imputation, justification, uh, propitiation, reconciliation, redemption, repentance, righteousness, salvation, sanctification, sin, um, World and its four meanings, etc., 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 are defined in simple, non-technical terms. These definitions have been submitted to and approved by a very large number of eminent students and teachers of all of the evangelical bodies. So he wanted to provide definition. He wanted to provide definitions. Now, the only problem is with definitions, what's, what do you always have to remember about definitions? I try to tell you this all the time. Whenever we grab the Bible dictionary, which everyone should own and we should use, what do we find when we read those definitions sometimes? Theological system. Theological system. Definitions are great, but every definition provided in Bible study or in theology, you have to see sometimes what is guiding, driving the definition. A system. Look up the definition of baptism. Are you not going to see a system? If a Presbyterian writes it or a Lutheran writes it, it's going to be very different than a Baptist writing it, is it not? Absolutely. They may refer to it as a, the S word, sacrament, and we, being Baptists, will refer to it as the O word, an ordinance. Okay, that's radically different. Everybody should understand that, right? So you got to be able to see it. But he wanted definitions. That's good, is it not? That's good. Next. All right, the next one. Each of the 66 books of the Bible is provided with an introduction and analysis. All right, so now he's going to have introductions. Now, is that a new thing? The Geneva Bible did it in 1560. Between 1560 and here, I don't know if other Bibles did it, but this becomes the next, this is the next major study Bible in, in the history of the church. All right, those introductions are good, but what do those introductions contain? A system, someone's system. The entire, now listen, this is very important. The entire Bible has been divided into paragraphs 
by italicized subheads while preserving the chapter and verse division, which gives the authorized version, among many other superiorities, its its unraveled preeminence. So basically, though, this is important. The Bible's broken into paragraphs and italicized by subheads. Now, meaning once you start adding headings and breaking it up into certain parts, that was not in the original. You have to remember that. You have to remember that. So you should know that. It says, the remarkable result of the modern study of the prophets and recovering to the church not only a clear and coherent harmony of the predictive portions, but also great treasures of ethical truth are indicated in expository notes. This portion of the Bible, nearly one-fourth of the whole, has been closed to the average reader by fanciful and allegorical schemes of interpretation. This is very important. Because he just said that when it comes to Bible prophecy, what is he not going to follow? Allegorical interpretations. Any good Bible student who reads that goes, "Uh uh-oh. The notes are not going to look at biblical prophecy in an allegorical way. You need to know about that by the Schofield Bible. Because this becomes the dominant way in which many Christians from 1917 to this very day interprets prophetic scriptures. That's why we spent 70 hours in the book of Jeremiah. I tried to prove this over and over and over in that study, over and over and over and over and over in that study. Right? So everybody got that? So, so wh- where is this going? For example, I'll just give you an example. When it mentions the house of Israel and the house of Judah, there's a high probability he's going to interpret that as house of Israel and house of Judah. He's not going to interpret it as the church. When it says land, he's probably going to actually believe it is land. Okay? Other than any church, typically in the reform world, who would be relying more on the Geneva Study Bible, right? We'll use a more allegorical approach where Israel isn't Israel, land isn't land, a thousand years isn't a thousand years, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to be a radically different system, a radically different system. I cannot stress that enough, right? Now, what we tend to do is then we will read the text and go with it based off our system, And if you go against the system, then someone's going to come up to you after church and go, no, 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 this is what it says. And I'm like, well, congratulations. You just regurgitated to me the very system that I'm very familiar with. Like, it's like, why don't you actually go study? Like, 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 I can't believe, I still to this day cannot believe that there was ever debate after we finished looking up every reference in the Bible to the word Israel. How could there still be, there was still disagreement. I, I will never understand that. And then when, you, when the, someone disagrees, go, well, can you show me where you looked up all the references? And then they won't show you, and then they won't do it, but they're still going to tell you you're wrong. Well, what am I supposed to do with that? Be patient? No, you just go to the Eskimo hut, hut and get drunk because there's no point in even trying anymore. Not for those listening online, I didn't actually go to the Eskimo hut and get drunk. I thought about it. Okay, But because you just think, I can't do any more than that. How many churches would have spent six months looking up every reference to one word? And there was like 4,000 references? 
I mean, it was just, it was hour after hour coming to church going, okay, what's the next reference, Sarah? Okay, what's the next? Okay, God, and I let you guys vote on whether it was the church. I like, I don't, no other church in the world, will, I guarantee there's been no church in history that has ever done that. And then there's a lot of people listening to me going, and that's why nobody is at your church. Because who wants to come to church and do that? But I, you either could have listened to me tell you what all the references mean, which then you would have been relying on me. And if you're going to rely on me, then stop disagreeing with me. Or, okay, never. Or we went through, and when we were done, I don't know how there could be an argument. I, I don't think there, it's just, it's insane. But you can see, he's telling you right from the front, what is he going to do? He's going to interpret it. Well, in a literal, but it is a system. We cannot deny that, okay? It is a system. All right, so everybody got that one? All right. Next, the greater covenants of God, which absolutely condition human life and the divine redemption about uh, which the whole Bible gathers are analyzed and their relation to each other and Christ made clear. I cannot stress this enough. Which number is that? How many now? Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Number nine. He is going to trace and gather all of the covenants. You should know, and if you've read the Schofield Bible, you should note this, all right? This is going to be very important as we move forward because we're going to learn his system, right? He still hasn't given us his ultimate system. But please note, those covenants, because a lot of people look at the Bible through the lens of covenant, covenant. And they believe if you look at it through the lens of covenant, that's why you baptize babies to put the symbol of the covenant on the baby and then allow the baby to be a part of the covenant family. Just as Israel put the circumcision on a baby and that baby was a part of the nation, right? Now that's how the baby is a part of the church. Now, you... How well did that work out with having everyone in the, and, and like, it, 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 Israel was made up, I think we could argue there was a lot of unbelievers in Israel. You would think that would make it a problem for the church as well, but all right, but we can digress. Oh, we, we, I mean, we can get into all kinds of discussion, but please know, he doesn't ignore the covenants. Sometimes it's acted like he ignored the covenant. He doesn't ignore the covenants. If you've ever read the, refer- the Schofield Reference Bible and looked at it, he follows all of the covenants. Now, we're about to engage in a study. He's getting ready to mention the next system. We're going to look at his system, but we're going to also keep track of the covenants that are mentioned throughout this as well, okay? Because it's very important, all right? Now, what's the next number? 10. You ready? This is the big one. This is the one you circle. You put 17 exclamation marks after it. Just, and then show Stacy all of your extra uh, exclamation marks because it drives her crazy because she claims it doesn't make it, emphasize it anymore. And I think she's completely wrong, okay? The more exclamation marks, the better, right? Because it gives that, yeah, I'm talking loud, right? It, it gives, okay, so just mark all your exclamation and then show her, okay? All right, everybody ready? Hey, this is number 10, right? If my counting is correct, right? Here we go. The dispensations are distinguished 
exhibiting the majestic progressive order of the divine dealings of God with humanity. Stop right there. The dispensations. The dispensations. Now, please note, he states it as if this concept of dispensations is already an established idea, meaning that he did not come up with it, that the idea was already present. Now, where it begins is where a lot of people will, will, will trace the history of it because this now shows us where we're going. I know we've talked about the church. We've talked about Bibles. We've talked about authority. We've talked about systems. But this introduces now a proper way. I've already done, you know, this is what the third hour I think I've already done on this subject, right, to getting, get, getting us really ready. This introduces what we're going to refer to in study as dispensationalism 101. I am going to make sure you understand dispensationalism 101, but guess how I'm not going to teach it? I am not going to teach it necessarily as I'm pro-dispensational, and I'm not going to teach it as I'm necessarily anti-dispensational. I'm going to teach it as it's a system. We need to know the system. You need to know all the systems. Why do you need to know all the systems? Because inadvertently, in your life, you may not like this, the Bible has not been your authority. The system you were given has been your authority. The only way to defeat that is to know the system frontwards and backwards, and then try to get yourself more and more actually studying the Bible so that you can can then agree or disagree with the system based off of it. So guess what? There may be things I say going, I 100% agree with that. And get, this is what happens to me every single time. I'll have dispensationalists going, amen. And then 30 minutes later, I will disagree. And then the reform people will be like, and then the dispensationalists are like, you, you're, you're a heretic. And then 30 minutes later, I'm back on this side, and then the reformed people are like, you're not really reformed, you're a liar. And then guess what? I'm basically a man with no country and no team. I am just, that's the reality. That's the reality. And I, I hate that, but I, I like, what do you want? Do you, do you want just a team? I mean, I, someday I wish the whole concept of the way the church and seminaries have done things. I wish someone would, I wish I'm alive enough until the entire system is burned to the ground. Because I'm so I'm tired of sermons. I'm sick of sermons. All sermons do is regurgitate your team. They're not a st- and you walk away going, I learned, I learned about you didn't learn nothing. You learned someone giving you a system. Because if they were really dealing with the text, it wouldn't be three nice little points and simply organized, right? You'd be working and struggling with it and asking hard questions. So I'm not going to do this. So for those listening, if you're dispensational, be prepared to get offended. For those who are non-dispensational, prepare to get offended. Because I don't care about your system. I want to know the system so that I can then understand its influence upon my own thinking. Because I guarantee you, First Baptist Church, Tuscola, Texas, where you two were members, I guarantee you, dispensationalism was present, whether you heard it by name or not, okay? Miss Mack would not have been a fan of it 
okay? She would have hated it, okay? All right? But trust me, she was. I guarantee you the goodlets, you know you were taught dispensationalism because you were carrying around probably. Hey, do y'all still have your Schofield Bibles? Okay, oh, you have a Nelson? Okay, y'all don't have your, what happened? Oh, you didn't get a Schofield? Oh, too many study notes. Okay, all right, so, all right, well, at least he's honest, okay? And I know your mom definitely wasn't dispensational. Oh, okay, see, see she's, she, was, she was just going slowly back in time. She was just going, I'm going to forget this. I'm going all the way back to 1560, right? Because she was definitely anti-dispensational when I met her, right? When, okay, well, when she was, uh, okay, so Sarah got both. Yeah, Sarah got both. She got both, right? In fact, the... Okay, now she... And I was like, hey, okay, I need a seance to tell... Hey, tell me the truth. Okay, I know, I don't believe in seances. Okay, 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 okay. I don't believe in seances. Okay, but yeah, you're all wrong. Okay, we're probably all wrong to some level. Okay, but I want you to know, this, this is where dispensationalism... And, and, and please note, I, I want to say this. This is not where dispensationalism originates. This is where dispensationalism becomes a system placed into the hands of the average person. And then inadvertently, that becomes now... Okay, well, it, it, does, it does become that. But it, it becomes... This is important. You're hermeneutic. And let me make it clear. No system should... Now, I know Reformed people are going to disagree with me on this, okay? But I don't care. Your theology does not determine your hermeneutic. I quoted yesterday from a Reformed theologian who made that statement. That is garbage. Your theology does not guide or control your hermeneutic. Your hermeneutic should control your theology. Because, we, we, because no one ever actually studies the Bible. The whole idea of true Bible study, digging into the text, reading it and working through it, it's a lie. Churches don't do that. They say they teach the Bible. They should just be better. We teach this system. And that's what people want. And that's okay. I don't want that. That's why I hope, at least, I, hope I can die with having at least this church. I hope somehow this church can survive until I'm dead. So I don't ever have to worry about it. Because I don't know what I would do, because I, I, I can't live going back to that. I don't want to ever live where I have to be in a place where all I'm doing is pretending that we're here to hear a sermon on the Bible when all you're doing is regurgitating. And I've told you that a million times. I'll hear a sermon going, that's page 52 from MacArthur's commentary. And I've even demonstrated that with my own daughter. I'll never forget, it was a Sunday morning, we're getting ready to come here to church. And there, were, and there was some church in like Sweetwater or it may have been Abilene that was on the local television and it just happened to come on and I'm sitting there getting ready and all of a sudden I look at Rebecca and I'm like, that, he didn't preach that. I'm like, that's a lie. And she said, and I, I said, go look it up online. She looked it up online and she was sitting there and she, and she hit play and she was like, dude, the guy stole the whole thing. Now, that's not only plagiarism, but the point is, even if they don't plagiarize, all they're doing is going home, going to their study, getting a commentary, and just breaking it down. That's not study. And then you sit there going, oh, pastor, that was such a good sermon on 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
All he did was tell you what someone else told you, told him about it. Now, I'm not saying that that happens in every case, but hopefully there, but that happens too many times because I listen to too many sermons. I listen to hundreds of sermons and it's the same, just, it's, it's this whole structure where you got to just, nobody's really digging into the text because it would be messy. It would be like, well, I don't know about that. What is that? What is that? What? I don't know what that is, right? It would, it would be like being a part of a good book club, right? Because a good book club, people are like, well, I don't know about that. And everybody's struggling and trying to figure it out. But you, you can't do that, all right? But let me read this whole last part. We didn't get very far, but here we go. We, we finally got to where we needed to go. So let me read this again. You ready? Here we go. The dispensations are distinguished, exhibiting the majestic progressive order of the divine dealings of God with humanity. In other words, he thinks God's dealings with humanity, he, he's going to look at it more through the lens of how he dealt with them through dispensations, where others may say he dealt with them more through covenants. How do they agree or disagree, and is that going to be a problem? The increasing purpose which runs of the divine dealings of God with humanity. Oh, come on, I'm sorry, I just read all of that. Hang on. Uh, okay. The increasing purpose which runs through and links together the ages from the beginning of life of man to the end in eternity. Augustine said, now he quotes Augustine. Nobody would have think Schofield would be quoting Augustine, would they? Now, I find that hilarious, right? I find it hilarious. It just makes me laugh because it just shows you the, such the scam it is when people quote the church fathers. Who quotes Augustine? The Roman Catholic Church, because he's a doctor there. Who else quotes Augustine? Luther, who was an Augustinian monk, believing that Augustine disagreed with the Catholic Church. Who else quoted Augustine? Calvin. Okay. okay. Who, who else quoted Augustine? Schofield. Okay. Everyone quotes. It's, it's hilarious, right? Because everyone runs to the church fathers to get what they want. All right. But he says... Augustine said, distinguish the ages and the scriptures harmonize. Whoa. Distinguish the ages and the scriptures harmonize. Now, there's about 15,000 more things I want to say here. Then the last thing, he just talks about why he's using the, uh, basically the text of the King James. Okay. And so, obviously, he he agrees with that. Okay, now, dispensationalism, and we'll end with this, breaks the entire history down into ages. Right? This dispensation goes from here to here. This dispensation goes from here to here. And there are differences in those dispensations. He's using Augustine, quote, as justification for this process. Because what was the quote from Augustine? Let me read it again. Everyone should write this down. Distinguish the ages and the scriptures harmonize. Meaning that everyone has a problem trying to harmonize the scriptures. His system is going to do what? Distinguish the age. Distinguish the age, then you can harmonize it. 
And what's one thing you can do by distinguishing the age? You can say, well, that is how it worked in that age, but it's not how it works in this age. And there's a little bit that everyone does that to some level, right? There was an age where you would argue there were dietary restrictions and a sacrificial system. We no longer believe we're in that age. So he would argue distinguishing ages produces harmony. And then he's going to create a system where he's going to break it down into how many ages? Seven. Look, someone was raised with a dispensationalist. Seven. And this is where you get with the big dispensational charts, right? Okay. Whichever one mocks. Okay. And I understand why you may mock it. But at the same time, whenever you try to understand or harmonize scripture, you almost need a chart sometimes to try to figure it out. But he's going to do so. Now, what we'll do is next, uh, hopefully tonight, if we're here, we're going we're gonna to open it up and we're going to look briefly at some things he does in Genesis, which are, oh boy, because guess where the gap theory comes from? Schofield. Yep, the gap theory comes right here. So even though I was taught Every, even though I was told to get the Schofield Bible, guess what they, I was told every time I got one? Ignore the gap theory. <laughs> Ignore the gap theory because he was wrong on that, okay? So, and that's how it basically starts. It starts almost immediately, boom, the gap theory. And everybody knows the gap theory. Genesis 1-1 is the original creation. In the middle, there was a cataclysmic judgment that makes up for all the geological ages. And then creation starts again, Genesis 1-2. And so in between 1-1 one, one and 1-2 one, could be millions, billions of years. Okay, all right. So now you can understand this, 1900s. What year was uh, Origin of Species published? Well, you should all know it, all right? I always tell everyone to read it, okay? Yeah, it's a date, so don't look to me, okay? Y'all are supposed to remember the dates. That's why I tell y'all to remember the dates, Okay. Okay, well, y'all can, y'all, y'all, whoever gets that right uh, gets nothing. Someone will probably email it to me, but all right. Okay, we'll stop right there. All right, that gets us. So we went from 1517 to 1917. And I want you to see this progression of authority, Bible, right? And I want you to see the system. You kind of go with the church as the authority. You try to get to the Bible, but you really... It's replaced with a system. And we've got to see that. We've got to see that. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this afternoon. I'm so glad that we're in a church where we could do something like this because other places we would not be able to do this. I'm grateful and I pray that we can stay here as long as we possibly can to have a place where we can do theology, not just simply learn a system, but we can test, challenge, question so that we can actually try to figure out what the Bible says by what it what it says by the words that are used. And we ask you to forgive us for all the times we have violated these principles and put systems and authorities before your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...